You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. We're your hosts, Brandon and Daniela, and this is episode 25. Good evening. Hello. I figured today we would talk about Thai fermented foods, because fermented foods in, in Thailand are very much so a part of the cuisine. Do you have any experience with uh, any Thai food in the fermented foods of Thailand? No, not not really. I honestly don't know too much about their fermentation process or what the popular foods are. Well, there's a lot of, of amazing Thai foods that incorporate at least a certain amount of fermentedness to it, I'd say. And and one of the, the, the major ones, which we did a whole topic on, was on fish sauce. Oh, yes. So fish sauce is like a huge fermented food of of, of Thailand and, and really does incorporate a lot of the flavors of Thai food. Fermented, I'd say fermented fish sauce and fish paste or shrimp paste. I'm sorry. So fish sauce is really a Thai thing, not like a an Asian. Well, it is, but I mean, different Asian cuisines incorporated in different ways. Yes, generally it's it's a part of a lot of at least Southeast Asian cuisines and and otherwise. But yeah, I'd say that that Thailand is definitely. I guess I could say that I have a lot more experience with Thai food as opposed to other other areas, um, having lived in Thailand and and having experienced a lot of the the local foods and and whatnot. But at the same time, that was quite a few years back, and I'm not, I wasn't nearly as focused on fermented foods, but the foods were amazing. So now if you went back, that's all all you would really look for are the fermented foods? No, I don't think it's the only thing. I mean, there's other things about Thai food that are, you know, different or odd or, or interesting. I mean, there's, there's, you know, like the street food is amazing. A lot of that isn't fermented. Some of it probably is cooked with a bit of fish sauce, but, you know, things like the fried bugs and different things like that. I always thought I'd try those, but I never actually did. Why is that? Um, I just thought that I was going to... Well, I thought I was going to stay a year and I ended up only staying for six, six months. But I, I, I thought that I would just, you know, make sure I, I tried those at some point, but I thought I'd wait until I was, I was in the mood, you, you know, never I, were. I guess I never got in the mood for the fried bugs, Sounds but, but in reasonable. doing some, some more specific research for fermented foods and just Thai foods in general, it was actually kind of interesting to, to see that the, these fried bugs only really became popular as a street food. More recently, say in the 1980s. So again, not a fermented food, but if you haven't ever seen street stalls or street carts in in Thailand or photos of it, or just in general seen people eating bugs, there's things like locusts and crickets and beetles and all kinds of different things. Many times fried, they're cooked in different ways as well. What made them decide to start making those? Well, I don't know exactly where all the traditions come from, but it's one of the ways is is because it it used to be something more of, of farmers in, in more rural settings because they'd have massive amounts of, of locusts that they would eat just because they were such a pest. <laughs> That's great. But, we should start eating mosquitoes. Yeah, I don't know if mosquitoes really have too much of... I mean, I guess on a, a large... I mean, ants are another thing that you can eat. I don't know. Again, mosquitoes, I don't know. I guess it would depend on what they've been sucking on. What kind of blood they it's have in their system? Gross. Never mind. Yeah, I mean, Scratch I don't, I don't know if I choose the blood suckers, but I don't think people really eat too many spiders or anything either. 
But again, these things aren't necessarily as fermented. So, so back to the fermented things. Um, the, the, in doing some research for this, I, I took a lot of it from uh, from a little bit from experience, but mostly from the Handbook of Fermented Functional Foods. I put a, a show for that or a link for that in the show notes at firmup.com slash podcast slash twenty five. And it's a it's a good book with with other. I mean, I I reference that often when I I'm looking up different specific topics, but this is one time where I kind of leaned heavily on that because it has a whole chapter and focused on different Thai foods and so that are, that are fermented. Another book though, that I did um, reference that I, I love this. If, if you're interested in cooking any Thai food, the book Thai food by David Thompson. Oh, that's easy to remember. Yeah. I always forget the name of it though. When I'm trying to tell someone, <laughs> it's like, this is the book you need. I can't even remember the author. But I think it's Thai something food. Well, it's just Thai food. Again, in the show notes, you can find it. I've got links to Amazon on there for you if if you're interested. But the 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 Thai food cookbook. I mean, it's a really it's I don't know hundreds of pages on all kinds of things. It's got a few beautiful photos, but most of it's all text, and it's just full, jam packed full of traditional Thai kind of cooking. Now, so basically, a whole bunch of recipes that's impossible to obtain ingredients for. That is exactly what I was going to uh, to say. I mean, yeah, it's kind of one of those things where uh, some of the ingredients are kind of tough to get. Uh, kefir lime leaves are, are are one of those, but I mean, you can get them frozen in certain places. I mean, and, and I'm sure it's different depending on where a person lives. But here in the United States in the Midwest, it's a little bit tougher to find some of the ingredients. But again, there's you can make some substitutes, but it's still not quite the same. I mean, Thai food in the United States, I just have not ever had it be quite the same. So if you want authentic Thai food, authentic to fermented Thai food, you're going to have to either make it yourself and find all the ingredients. For the fermented things, you can pretty much do those and repeat those at home. For other Thai foods, not as much always, but it, you can get it close enough and you can enjoy it. But... But in, in that book alone, there's, there's just so many for, for a book that, I mean, it won a James Beard award for, for cookbook back quite a few years back. And, and it's, it had in it just looking in the index and, and uh, because I never actually looked at it for fermented things specifically, but it has things on fermented bamboo shoots, fermented bean curds, fermented fish, fermented fish relish, fermented fish sauce, fermented pork sausages, fermented rice, fermented Siamese watercress and fermented soybeans. Wow. And then that's just, those are just pretty much directions on how to make those things. And then other recipes will incorporate those. So, so even in that, there's, there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of things. One thing that's interesting about Thai fermented foods is that it's, it's fermenting with rice rinsing water a lot of times. So I don't always rinse my rice, I'll admit, but do you r- rinse rice when you cook it? No, no, it's too much work. Too much work. You know, some is pre-rinsed sort of, but ideally you want to rinse rice before cooking it because it relieves some of the starches or removes some of the starches and whatnot. But so that that carbohydrate rich water is used as a source for the fermentation brine along with salt or whatever else would be, be done normally. But it's just, it's a way, so it's a way to experiment at home, even if you're not looking to do Thai specific fermentations is using thai, uh, rice, rice rinsing water and, and using that to, to not necessarily jumpstart a ferment, but to give it extra things, 
the microorganisms extra things to start the fermentation, metabolize and, and eat. Yeah, I mean, it just it gives them another source of food, another source of energy, and, and is it I, required though? No, it's definitely not required. I mean, it's just like any other kind of fermented stuff. It's not necessarily required one way or another, but this is a traditional thing of Thailand. And I, I don't know how it how it spreads out beyond that, but in Thailand. And from that Thai food book, one of the quotes is, one of the most elemental ways of fermenting is in rice rinsing water, since dissolved enzymes in the rinsing water encourage fermentation. So it's just a way to jumpstart it, maybe kind of in the same way of Sally Fallon in her way and how putting whey in everything. But I think it's a little bit less like that because whey a lot of times has microorganisms in it if it's fresh. And so it's it's not just a food source. It's also a, a starter of sorts. But rice rinsing water is not a starter. You think of it as a... I don't think this would salt? technically be the way it is, but no, there's salt added too. And it, but it'd be like the prebiotic. You're giving it food. Prebiotic versus probiotic. Probiotics are microorganisms that are potentially good for for health and digestion, but prebiotics are the things that feed those microorganisms in their gut. So you can kind of think of it as a prebiotic for your fermented foods that you're fermenting. Maybe a very unofficial <laughs> way to say it. That's kind of how I think of it though. I haven't actually tried fermenting with, with rice rinsing water. So at some point I'll do a blog post about it as I experiment with that more, but I think you should, I actually I mean, did kind of have to, I did a couple months ago, save rice rinsing water. And I was going to ferment something in it. Let me guess. You forgot. I still have the rice rinsing water. I doubt that it's any good. Probably not. Especially since I didn't add salt or anything to it. But I'm going to have to open up that mason jar. See, so, so, so that's how I am sometimes. I just don't. You have good intentions. You just have a hard time following through. Well, well, it's maybe more so that I just I do a lot of different fermentation experiments. And so, yeah, I guess it's follow through a little bit. I need to do a better job of recording all of these different things. Since I'm not just doing one thing, if I don't stay focused on say, oh, I have a new rice rinsing water medium, I'm going to do something with that tomorrow or otherwise, you know, I need I need a fermentation to-do list, which I, I have reminders and different things for, you know, change out the water kefir, change out the ginger beer plant, change out the uh, the yogurt, make new yogurt, different things like that. But when well, it comes I mean, to new things. it's a full-time job, so I understand. <laughs> making... Making fermented all kinds of fermented foods at home, yeah, it's kind of a full time job. It's kind of like you know pets or kids, but but anyway, pets are not a full time job. No, I mean, but not. I don't think that fermented foods are at home are a full time job either. But cheese making at home can kind of become more of a full time job, or beer making at home can kind of become a little bit more. So I'd say, it, depending on how someone wants to, you know, and, and, and an unpaid job other than reaping the benefits of enjoying the the food. And if you share it with anyone, the joys of, of sharing. sharing. <laughs> so cheesy. Yes. But uh, anyway, back to the Thai specific stuff. The the majority of fermented foods in Thailand are still produced traditionally on the small scale or at home. So that's that's kind of an important thing to, to understand is that even though there are things, you can get the shrimp paste purchased at the store. You can get the fish sauce. But a lot of other things are still done at home more traditionally. I'm sure things have changed in different parts, but there's still so many rural parts of Thailand that are different than say Bangkok that would people are, there's still a lot of people that are doing things traditionally. Kind of, if you look at, at Korea and kimchi and a lot of people still do it traditionally at home, but at the same time that starting to creep in that idea of it's so much easier just to purchase it at the store. 
even if it's a little bit more expensive, it's convenient. We might lose out on some of the traditions and, and time with family and friends, but hey, we can just get it down at the store whenever we need it. I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of a lot of people still doing it traditionally at home for whatever reasons, but it's uh, the thing is, is most of these are also wild fermentations, so they're not using starter cultures. But especially for, you know, areas like Thailand, where some of these things have been traditionally done for a very long time, or at least, you know, a couple generations doing it in the same house, uh, making fermented foods in the same house. They're, they're slowly selecting bacteria and microorganisms that are going to be a part of that, just as with sourdough, kind of like you've talked about before with the sourdough and otherwise where in the environment that a sourdough or any other thing grows in, it's changes the way that that starter culture evolves. And, and that changes with, with meat and, you know, sausage. I mean, certain, um, certain sausage makers or, or any kind of charcuterie that it sometimes takes a year or two. If a, a chef moves to a new location you know, it can take a year or two to build up the microorganisms to arguably make that sausage or that that fermented meat taste sophisticated and, and more and more to what they would have been used to in their old location that had years of building up all the microorganisms. Because they do kind of balance out, create an ecosystem even in in a room, all the things we have. And so... And, and and that that goes back to even linking it, looking at other Asian a, a, Asian related things about how um, aspergillus orzier for used for fermenting a, a mold used for fermenting rice for uh, wine and and otherwise rice wine and otherwise could more easily have been captured in the air prior to. Uh, totally drawing a blank here to the Hiroshima bombing. Is oh, that correct? It, Did I just, I just totally drew a, a blank. I think so. Yes. The, um, th- that had such drastic change to the, to the microorganisms in the area that it was not as easy to, and it's still not necessarily as easy and correct me if I'm I'm wrong, but that's what I've read in the past is that it's not as easy to, to capture those wildly anymore. They have to be produced and create a starter culture for it. Even now, after so many years? Nuclear bombs and otherwise can have drastic effects on the microorganisms in an area. Just like tilling soil can have effects on microorganisms in the soil for farming and otherwise. So yeah, I mean, these kind of things do have effects because who knows where that aspergillus orzier kind of started in and how many hundreds or thousands of years that that area had been kind of creating the the perfect environment for it and then it was no longer a perfect environment so then it's just like when you wipe out a forest you know different plants may end up growing up that weren't there before so it's it's just there's going to be new microorganisms that are going to try and take hold and take the stronghold. So some interesting stuff, but yes. So in, in Thailand where there are areas where these things have been done more regularly, they kind of are naturally selecting for organisms 
in the environment, but it is still wild fermentation. You know, whereas say for me, I am naturally selecting for different things based on all the things I'm fermenting. And some of my things will be sway in one direction or another based on what's available. But since I ferment so many different random things, I don't know what my environment is like, but it's, it's probably crazy on the microscopic level. Which is potentially good. Potentially good. Potentially interesting. You know, keep things mixed up. Keep the, keep the microorganisms on their, on their toes in my kitchen, basement everywhere. (laughs) But um, the, 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 like I was saying, the fermented fish sauces, again, I, I, I tried learning a little bit of Thai, but I'm not, I do not speak Thai by any means. And so yeah, languages are not your strongest. <laughs> no languages. Yeah. I, I, I like trying to learn them, but I will try and go over the native names for some of these, some of these, uh, the, the Thai words for these, but you know, fish sauce, nampla. Uh, and uh, in kapi shrimp paste, those those are the two major fermented fish products, and I assume that a lot of those are are just purchased at the at the store anymore. There's probably regions that do focus on that and make it more. But when you get into other fermented, say fermented meat products, then you've got things like nam, and that's fermented pork, and it's just like a lot of different sausages out there and uh, fermented fermented things. I mean, it's minced pork meat. So it's, it's minced pork meat with pork rind and then just some seasonings like garlic and pepper and salt and, and of course some chili, make it a little spicy. And then it's potassium nitrate that's, that's used to, you know, keep its color and to help the process and, and keep it with good microorganisms. I think and, I read somewhere that Asia is, pork is very popular in Asia. I'd say it's popular. Yeah. Do you recall eating a lot of pork when you were in Thailand? I didn't necessarily eat a lot of pork because most restaurants have, you know, choices or I mean, different things. I guess. Yeah. I, so I, I, so I, that's more of just a personal choice. But there, yeah, there's definitely always pork on the on the on the menu at most places. But this is another key thing of of Thailand and elsewhere, Southeast Asia especially. But in order to ferment that minced pork. The nam is you wrap it in banana leaves. So, well, you probably don't because I don't think you have access to banana leaves. But if you were in Thailand, you could wrap it with. Or plastic sheets. Plastic sheets just don't seem as cool. What do you think a banana peel would do? A banana, banana, oh, oh, use a banana peel instead of banana leaves? Yeah. That would probably be gross. (laughs) Okay. That's, that's my, that's my official opinion on that one. But banana leaves, you know, so cool. Everything's kind of can be wrapped in them. You can wrap little, little, little cool things in them. Are they large? Yeah, banana leaves are pretty large and they're thick. They're thick green. You find that in a lot of tropical ferments is that it's wrapped in banana leaves or covered in banana leaves or topped with banana leaves, you know, the holes dug in the ground and then covered with banana leaves, all kinds of different things like that. They're just a good medium, a nice traditional medium of, of a way to, you know, kind of protect things from the outside without having to put it into a sealed jar and it, but this is only that that's something that's only fermented for a few days and then like you know how many days i'm sorry what how was that? many days a, a few days what, like three days well a few yes i would say more than three days but it's not it, it probably is based on region choice how personal preference it's not something that's fermented for weeks let's just say that you know, it's it's a short ferment. Nam is a uh, is a is a short fermented minced pork, 
But then there's things like fermented sausage, which are just pretty much just, it's just a fermented sausage from Thailand, but very similar to other fermented sausages. But, uh, but that one, I cannot pronounce it all, but I would say Sai Krog Prio, or Pri, Prio. Uh, but I, that doesn't even sound Thai. So I, I would not call that what that's, that is. <laughs> but then there's fermented beef, which is mom, ma'am, probably more so, but that's shredded pork or beef. See, there's a lot of shredded, shredded pork. Like you were saying, you're right. But, uh, I guess it can go either way, pork or beef there, but, but it, it's mixed with cooked rice. So that's, that's a major difference with the fermented beef and, and pork is, uh, cooked rice, salt, sugar, pepper, spices, and then it's then it's packed into pig intestine and then tied and then allowed like much sausage just allowed to to, to do a wild fermentation process but it's the cooked rice that's i don't know if i've ever actually had that but so it kind of sounds like a nice fermented sausage but with with some rice in it i'd be interested to try it just to compare to what we have here yeah i would i would it I'm sure it's accessible here, but or or just make it, I guess. You just have to start making it. I bet it's accessible. But then there's, you know, like most countries, some fermented plant products. There's now my dong, which is fermented bamboo shoot, and that's in a brine with sliced bamboo shoots, and then it's packed into jars. So that one is is pretty simple. I mean, it's like a lot of different vegetables, you don't just what do you, how do you consume it? I think it's used as more of an ingredient. Okay. It's not as much of a side dish even. It's kind of just in it. I mean, and that's where a lot of fermented stuff comes from is you just kind of mix it in as a flavor component because the fermentation adds so much complexity. I mean, I do that all the time. Kind of like your onions? Yeah, like the fermented onions that I need to make more of. Yes. Another thing I need to add to a list because it's, it, yeah, they, they just add a different kind of flavor. To stuff, but and there's other things like pickled green mustard, which would be pak god dong, uh, and uh, that's brine and green mustard, and that's again packed in a jar. So again, a lot of these these fermented these these things, but you can also do fermented tea leaves, and it's it's more of a northern Thai thing. So some of these are more regional, some of them are more generalized across Thailand or a lot of Thailand. But it's steamed tea leaves that are then wrapped into bundles and packed into small baskets, and if they're more mature leaves they're actually put in cement walls like in a cement little box of sorts so <laughs> cement walls a box with cement walls yes and then you can cover it with banana leaves you can pretty much if 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 in doubt just cover it with banana leaves that would be my my thai fermentation suggestion but that one is since we all have banana leaves yeah that's i guess we're gonna have to start growing some banana trees here in wisconsin indoors think they get a little tall but yeah maybe indoors i am jealous of places that can grow you know coffee trees cocoa trees bananas all of those except- now i know you can do some dwarf banana trees and different things like that in some regions in the united states but that is one thing that i do actually wonder about because you can do i mean yeah somewhere like hawaii you could do a, a lot of different things but you know there's there's definitely you can go so grow some Coffee and some chocolate, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, you can do that in some regions in the United States. And, but when it comes to, to bananas, can you grow bananas? I don't know. Indoor. 
No, you're, I don't think you can. But you you can do smaller banana trees. I just wonder if you can do, you know, the that's kind of a larger thing. So I don't know. But anyway, back to back to the fermented tea leaves, which I don't know. I, I'm assuming they're just consuming it as tea, but but that one ferments for very many months. I mean, I know fermented teas are definitely a thing of China and otherwise, and uh, there's there's a, a a lot of tradition to those kind of things. But I think this is different. This is like a Thai fermented thing that's obviously, you know, a specific way of doing it. Um, but but then there's you know the fermented grain products and and cow mock is fermented glutinous rice. And so glutinous rice uh, would be another word for that would be sweet, uh, sticky rice because it's, Yum. it's got more gluten to it. It's stickier. And, and then, then actually that one though uses a, uh, a starter cake or yes, it's called or a starter culture. And it's, uh, something like loot pong and it's a, a mold and yeast combination kind of like the ones that i got from the chinese market for that were little circles little balls yeah, that i well, could then crush use this? i fermented rice with it to make a chinese rice wine oh that stuff that was disgusting yeah that was no no, 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 no it wasn't disgusting and i've i've cooked with it and you've enjoyed it yeah i think drinking it though just isn't very good well it's it not has generally rice... meant to be drank okay i just had you try it it just tasted like rice. And it wasn't it, like it, it was it was rice. it's it's mildly alcoholic we're not talking very alcoholic oh but no i didn't taste the alcohol i just tasted rice it's well it's really it brings out the sweetness in it though and it creates that nice mold white mold on top that looks so pretty i think for me it was just the fact that i'm so accustomed to eating rice so drinking anything that has a rice flavor just didn't fit with my do you not like sake Rice wine? Oh, that stuff is delicious, but that's different. It doesn't taste because like it's, rice. Okay, because it's been taken a lot farther. And there's there's also a, a fermented rice noodle. That's the other thing that kind of... A what? There's a fermented rice noodle as well. Oh, so yeah. there's, there's, there's other things. But, uh, you know, it's... There, there's, there are some starter cultures, like I was saying, but again, most of it is, is wild fermentation. Most of it is going to just be be wild like that. But... Again, some of those things that are bought in the stores, like the shrimp paste and otherwise, I I put up a an interesting grilled shrimp paste dip in the show notes. It was on YouTube, and it was by a uh, I'm assuming a a chef or cook of some sort. But it was it was in Thai, but there's English subtitles, you know, and it's well done. I mean, it's interesting. It looks tasty, and it just gives you a nice tea because you actually put the the shrimp paste in foil and grill it and so that's how you get obviously grilled shrimp paste because how else do you grill a paste unless you put it in something at least that's how i would feel but i wonder what the grilling would do to it well it would change the flavor of it i'm sure maybe give it a little bit of a a grilled shrimp paste taste maybe but if it's in foil i don't know yeah but then the question is what is grilled shrimp paste taste like yeah, that's probably a good point there too. I would say that it's something worth trying. It's supposed to smell good. That's you, what the person in the video said. It's supposed to smell good. Do you think on your now next that trip be, to Thailand, you're just going to try a whole bunch of fermented stuff that you're talking about right now and then have a follow-up episode on like your experience? Yeah, if I ever make it back to Thailand, I will definitely put... If you are going to make it back. Well, I'd like to go at some point. It's been quite a few years. I'm getting old, you know. I know you are 30s too old. Not 30. <laughs> Not yet. 
give me a couple months. But, uh, you know, it's uh, one of those things where I'd like to go back and I definitely would like to experience some of the fermented things there. And uh, like I was saying, the bugs and, and uh, everything. There's there's many things worth traveling to Thailand for. Food is definitely one of those. And even though I wasn't into necessarily fermented food specifically or, you know, just food in general of like being really looking at it too in-depth, their Thai food is just amazing. And it's just not the same at most places in the United States. Isn't that kind of the purpose of traveling is to just eat, eat good the food? food? That's one way to travel. It's definitely one of the more interesting things I say that really differentiates differentiates things in a the with all the globalization that we kind of have going on. I mean, if, if eating the local food is a way to separate that, I guess, because you can. Well, I'll, I will say, though, eating packaged food, even going into a 7-Eleven in Thailand and eating some of the packaged food, some of that is you know imported from other places in Asia. Even that's different. You know, it's, a, it's e- even eating crappy pe- processed food is part of the adventure of, of travel, I guess, you know, not, not necessarily that that's something someone needs to do, but it, it is a differentiator. So just food in general, even the packaged stuff is different. You well, can yeah. obviously get some of the imported stuff, but that's stuff expensive, especially in Thailand. I mean, I'd rather get the cheap stuff. Which is something that you probably aren't going to eat here, so makes sense. Yeah, but yeah, there's there. Yeah, food is definitely something to do when when traveling. So, fermented food next time. Yes, if I go back to Thailand, I will I will report back, do some interviews with Thai chefs that speak English, or not. But then I'll have to find a translator. <laughs> yes, you will. But but anyway, uh, yeah, that's that's doing an entire episode on on something like this is maybe maybe there's not a whole lot of substance to it in the sense of I mean I I think probably the top thing about this was pulling out the using rice rinsing water. For some reason it's so hard for me to spit out the rinsing part after saying rice rice rinsing water. Just have is to focus on it. R? Yeah, I think it's the the. Yeah. And so, uh, but, but I'd say that's, that's something to try that anyone can try, whether you're following a Thai recipe for fermentation or not. But again, you can follow Thai recipes for fermentation in, uh, in Thai food. The book. The book, the cook book. That's so much more than a cookbook. It goes way in depth, way more in depth than you probably ever want. I have never finished the entire book, but it's, it's, it's kind of to Thai food what, Sander Katz's book to fermentation. The art of fermentation is to fermentation in the news. Again, I don't know what is up. I it's feel just like fermentation isn't cool these days. It's lost. You know, it started in, in uh, 2013 is being the, the big hip thing to do. And now people are starting to, to not feel that way anymore. Yeah. They're moving on. No, I don't think that's the case, but I just think it's been kind of a lackluster few weeks for, for some really good gritty news, which is okay. It's probably a good thing. But there, uh, there, there was, I don't know if I ever mentioned it on the podcast. I don't know if I ever, ever was the, the, let me see if I can pronounce this correctly. The Glaucus. No, I cannot pronounce it correctly, and I didn't try before the podcast started. You are so funny. The Gloucestershire, Gloucestershire Cheese Rolling Contest. I posted a video about this, on at least on the Facebook page, many months ago. And it's a, a contest where... Do you remember this? 
Yes, I do. Okay, it's it's a it's a contest where people run down a really steep hill chasing a a wheel of cheese. So sweet. I love to watch. Not participate, but watch. Yeah, I mean it's an it's an eight pound eight pound piece of cheese that rolls down the hill. And some of the angles of the videos and photos that I saw, I was like, why are these people tumbling all over the place? It's not that steep. But that if you see it at the right angle, see a few photos at the right angle or at at a more accurate angle, that hill is like almost straight down. It's just, you just. So it's very steep. Yes. it's, It's a very steep hill. And people are running like crazy people down this hill and they're tumbling and they're hurting themselves. And it's not even legal to, to. To do this anymore it's kind of an unofficial thing ever since 2009 which i still disagree with but well yeah but in 2009 they had 15,000 people turn up as spectators so i think more of the reason why is because of the i'm sure maybe some of the danger of to the people that are actually participating but i don't know they i don't know it's uh but but what why this it just happened and it, it was the someone from colorado springs took part in the event and uh, won one of the events. So he actually traveled there specifically for this because he'd seen videos of it. He had it on a bucket list and he said he was going to win the bucket list. was, he had to win. And he did. He he won. And uh, I guess this event has kind of been celebrated for centuries and maybe it has its roots in the, the festival to celebrate spring. Seems kind of an interesting way to celebrate spring. I mean, if you got a really steep hill like that and you have cheese, I'm sure someone thought to roll it down. And then at some point someone's like chasing after, or maybe I know they're at the top of the hill. They skip, they, they trip and fall, drop their cheese and all Start their friends that were walking it. with them started chasing to go get the cheese. Yeah, they're like, probably get what my happened. cheese. I've twisted my ankle, but go run down the hill and get my cheese. It's probably what happened. Yeah. Although cheese always won. The cheese always, the, well, okay, yes. As soon as it became a competition, the cheese has always won. Yeah, in some of the videos I've seen before, there's actually people at the bottom to kind of brace people, like slow people down at the end. So who, who would get the cheese, the winner? I think people get the cheese, but this year is the first year, again, of this unofficial thing that's not even supposed to be going on. Because please say it's not safe or otherwise. Or that, or that the organizers could have uh, illegal issues, but it's it it is again usually that eight pound piece of double glaucoster, um, and it's it's down to two hundred meters. But this year they replaced the cheese with the foam version. I just killed it, completely killed it. I yeah, wouldn't even chasing go. foam. That's probably so way too win, slow. So even if you win cheese, it's not the cheese that you chased. Do you get the foam? Would that be worth your time? No, no, it's just not the same. Would you want to eat the cheese that rolled down the hill? Yes. Well, then, I mean, females have competitions as well. Theirs look a. L- it just doesn't. It doesn't look quite as intense. Maybe the 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 female participants are a little bit more sane. Although one of the female winners this year. Said she had done it before. This was the first year she had uh, injured herself, though. She cut up her stomach. Wait, how? By falling? falling? Yeah. I mean, you watch these people, they tumble. Can't you wear, like, soccer shoes? Cleats or whatever they're called? 
yeah, but you're running the, the, there's that momentum of running down a hill and people just, you know, if, if you don't stay leaning back far enough, people just tip forward. I would assume I've never tried running down such a steep hill. I can't say I have either, but I imagine it's kind of like, like mountain biking. And I used to do that down steep hills. You kind of got to lean back, kind of got to kind of. Leaning forward just does that, that, that I, what, what's the term endo? Yeah. I think you, you fly over the handlebars. Anyway, this episode I think is drawing to a close, maybe a little earlier than other ones, but definitely try fermenting things with rice, rice water. And that's about all we got for this week. And if you, if you have tried any specific fermented food recipes from thailand uh definitely definitely share them in the show notes again at firmup.com slash podcast slash 25 and uh what are you fermenting these days cheese (laughs) some tome cheese that i okay well that was that's that's one other thing don't start making cheese from two gallons of milk until you have all the, the equipment? Well, I had all the equipment, I thought. But I didn't have the, the cheese cheese mold. I was missing my cheese mold. I still don't know where my cheese mold is. It's disappeared. If anyone has seen my cheese mold, please do let me know. <laughs> you are ridiculous. I It just it disappeared. And it's, yeah, it's one of those things that was kind of really disappointing because I had all this going. I was, it, was, it was ready to be put into the cheese mold. And then I was about two hours late getting it into any kind of mold. And instead of having a cheese mold, I took some, in my basement, I found some uh, old yogurt containers that I'd used as, as to hold things. And so I, I cleaned those out really well. And, and so used two of those and, and put the cheese in that. So I have these and and then it started coming out kind of the bottom. It was it was just it didn't turn out that well because I cut off the bottom and then I put it on something that had a had some holes on it so that it could at least still drain a little bit when it was being pressed because it was a really light pressed cheese. It was only four pounds of pressure that I needed, and that's something I didn't know. Is again because my cheese cheese making for me is just always seems to be a little. It's it's the most adventurous fermentation thing that I do. Why so? Just because there always something seems to go a little awry. <laughs> Well, you know, this was a simple, it was supposed to be a very simple one and it would have been very simple and it was turning out great. Everything was going along as planned, but it, 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 except for, for having the cheese mold. And so without the cheese mold, it, the, the, the shape of these two things are, are a little weird. They're a little smaller. They're a little pudgy. They're a little just off the way that they, they sat and pressed. And when I was flipping it, what they look like though, What's do you that? think who cares about the the appearance we will see we'll see if the microorganisms are still find it as ripe real estate or if they feel like it's not if it's if it's not i mean so so far how's it going so far so good but it's been two days two or three days yeah and i've got two to three months well just keep checking on it i think last time you made cheese didn't you forget about it and it kind of went moldy and just Downhill. I'd like to think I didn't forget about it, but yeah, it got a little bit 
more moldy than I expected in different things. And I think that might've been the starter culture that I'd used in different things, but, but yeah, this one I think is going to turn out well, but it is interesting. It's the just weird shapes. Yes. As long as it tastes good, then I'm happy, but lesson learned have all supplies ready to go, including a surprisingly important, important piece, the cheese mold. But the one thing, oh yeah, the one thing I just, I really didn't, I, I was confused by, or not confused. And if anyone knows the answer to this, I'd be happy to, or to, if you'd share it with me is, so this cheese needed four pounds of pressure, very light cheese. Just put something on top of it and kind of press down. But since I split it up, the recipe that should have had four pounds of pressure into two separate molds, since they were smaller molds, should I have applied two pounds of pressure or four pounds to each? Oh, I think you should have gone with the original pressure. I, and I did that. Just in case. But I wonder what, I'm going to have to look into this a little bit more. I wonder how the ratio of weight placed on the cheese is affected by the mold size, the size of the mold that it's being pressed into. If that changes it, like should a You know, cheese... you should have done one with the the more weight, one with the less, and compared the two. I think it'd probably be easier to do that with a, something that takes a little bit more weight, but four pounds is just such a tiny amount. Yeah, I know. So, I, that's why. Yeah, I don't know. But if anyone if anyone has any thoughts on that, I'd be interested to know. So I can continue my cheese adventures. I think I'm going to have to get a new mold, though. I just, I don't, I, I have no absolute, I spent two hours searching for that thing. Looking in, in places multiple times. You know, the thing times. that amazes me is, like, you think it'd be with your cheese press or something with cheese-related stuff. That would make sense. That's why I think it, I think it ran away. Anyway. Is that the only thing you're fermenting? That's the main thing I'm fermenting, I'd say right now. I mean, I, I, the kimchi and other things are... are I just recently started new batches and, and yogurts and everything else. But yeah, that's really the only thing that really stands out in my mind is something to learn from, at least lessons learned. Everything else is kind of repeats. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we will see you here again next week for episode 26. And you can reach us at podcast at firmup.com on Twitter at firmup. Facebook at FirmUp, Pinterest at FirmUp, and you can find us on Google Plus too. Until next week, FirmUp! <laughs>